And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You may be seated. I'd like to share with you a parable uh, that I read recently in a book called The Kingdom Matrix by a man named Jeff Christopherson, or Christopherson, excuse me. But it's called The Parable of the Pretty Gurus. Parable of the Pretty Gurus. He says, Economists forever remember the conclusion of the 20th century by the descriptor that the U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Alan Greenspan coined as the age of irrational exuberance. Technology equities knew only one direction, straight up. Telecom stocks were always big winners. This was the age of the information revolution. There will never be enough bandwidth. Scoop them up while you can. Companies such as Enron and WorldCom, remember those names? Enron and WorldCom, some might be familiar with it, some may not, but it says that they were the darlings of the industry. Quarter after quarter, they continued to make their shareholders wealthier. Sure, there were some naysayers whispering negative sentiments like bubble and crash. Sour grapes could explain most of the murmuring, to be sure. Before this age of irrational exuberance, there once lived a man of great influence. When he spoke, people stopped what they were doing and listened. His name became synonymous with skillful, shrewd, consistent investing. And he, Warren Buffett, became a very wealthy man by understanding the time-tested principles of the stock market and never, ever straying from them. He was a very important man before the age of exuberance. With the new age came new gurus, much prettier ones, hipper advisors who loved lattes and manicures and casual Fridays. Young men and women with new celebrity status appeared regularly on the ever-expanding array of business shows. They told us what, what, what to buy. We bought. How could we go wrong? They were on TV. Way in the background, in some dark-paneled office, at his desk sitting on a leather chair facing a black telephone with a dial, sat Mr. Buffett a relic of the old regime. He certainly wasn't pretty. He drank ordinary black coffee. Never had a manicure. You can only guess what he wore on Fridays. We could put up with all that, but what we couldn't stomach was how he talked. He had some strange idea that share prices were not all that the stock market was about, that there were certain fundamentals that determined the value of a company. Who cares about companies, we thought. We're into the stock market. He kept mumbling something about, what was the word, value? Who knows? Speaking as a part owner of WorldCom, I now care. My investment in that company has grown to somewhere around three cents. Not bad. Could have been worse. The pretty latte-drinking gurus are gone. Uh, Gurus are, for the most part, gone. The dinosaurs are back. Casual Fridays now include a jit tie and a jacket. Exuberance lost its wind. And all as it should be, including me and my three cents. Now what can we learn from the decade of irrational exuberance? Anything. He says... Certainly, we can recognize ourselves in it, can't we? Our Warren Buffetts are antiques like A.W. Tozer, Oswald Chambers, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They spoke, to, spoke of strange things like costly grace and intimacy with God, and the strangest of them all, absolute surrender. We weren't sure what they were talking about, but we instinctively knew that it wasn't pretty. Probably wasn't much fun either. So we looked for new teachers, prettier ones. We found them. Some put out a paperback every three months. They could tell us everything that we needed to know. Some even had conferences, big ones. 
We went and bought the books and changed our churches and knew that good things were just around the corner. But the more we changed, the less we changed. He goes on. He says, surely giving our worship style an extreme makeover would do the trick. We spent money and brought, bought things with blinking green lights that came in black cases and chased out all the old folks didn't need them anyway. But the more we changed, the less we changed. Oh, we forgot ambiance. We forgot that at the conference they told us we need ambiance. Tons of it. So we brought in Starbucks and leather lounge chairs and flat panel television monitors and chased out all the poor folks. Didn't need them anyway. But the more we changed, the less we changed. What could, be, what could we be missing? Of course, how could we be so naive? We need relevance. So we held out the pew Bibles and installed a couple of jumbo screens and spoke on potty training and gardening and a thousand messages on happy marriages and we chased out all the single people. Didn't need them anyway. How can it be that the more we change, the less we change? Maybe we're not changing the right things. Maybe the change we need can't be found while we are busy amusing ourselves to death one conference at a time. Maybe the change that it need is it is us. This is where it gets really good. Let's go back to the dinosaurs. Before we learned about relevance and ambiance and methods to get married white guys in our buildings, we used to talk about other things, things like prayer, things like mystery, and not just so we can have candles and couches in our sacred warehouses. We talked about the gospel. We used to talk about the poor and the sick and the helpless. Some even did more than just talk. Some acted. But that was when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. They talked about inputs. We talked about outputs. They talked about prayer. We talked about parking lots. They talked about the crucified life. We talked about critical mass. They talked about knowing God. We talked about booking Christian celebrities. They talked about the kingdom of God. We talked about expanding our brand. So what's the point? Why do I share that with you? Is because as much as we grow in our knowledge of things, and there are a lot of tools that are great, but tools don't save souls. And there are some time-tested things that God has placed within his word that will never change, that God has attached himself to, that is, that is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself, praying and believing that God listens to our prayers, denying ourselves, and learning how to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. We have a lot of activity but no progress. We're a lot like birds in a cage, moving around but never getting anywhere. The only way that we can truly grow is to go back to these time-tested principles that the Scripture has testified from generation to generation. And that is believing God and taking Him at His word, turning, returning to prayer, returning to things like fasting. Now, fasting is not a pleasant subject. It's not one that anyone just labors to hear. You can have a message on sex and everybody will be attentive. You can have a message on the end times. You'll fill the place. But a message on fasting, you better clear out because everyone's running to the parking lot. But fasting is one of those time-tested principles that God has spoken to and practices that God has spoken to us uh, through his word about for our benefit. That we might go back to that age of dinosaurs to realize that if we're going to have true spiritual power in our life and not just performance, that it, it requires to, a change in what happens in our normal everyday lives when we're away from everybody else. It's not the blaring lights. It's not the show. It's getting to know the Savior. So today, I invite you to come hungry, to seek God hungry. We're going to talk about fasting today. And I, I want to challenge us all to begin this year or think about beginning this year fasting. Matter of fact, we have a challenge that I'm going to talk about in a moment, uh, that how we can start this year off fasting. 
Because I believe with the depth of my being that though you can get crowds, you can't make disciples until God is really truly involved in the process. And that doesn't happen apart from prayer and fasting. We've got a lot of people out there that claim Christ, but they are three inches deep. And the only way that we go deeper is if we truly take God at his word and begin to do these things that the scripture talks about. It's not about the shows. It's not about the conferences. It's not about the Christian celebrities that we love to tout, but it's being alone in the complete essence of who you are with God and allowing him to mold you and change you. And fasting is one of those tools, not the only one, but one of those tools that can help direct us and draw us closer to the Lord that we can learn how to forsake sin and live righteously and live powerfully the life that God has for us. So before we go any further, let's ask God to bless this message time that he might direct our hearts to receive what he is trying to speak to us through his word. So please bow with me as we pray. Our great God, Lord, you are hope. And right now I pray that you fill this place. That by your spirit you might draw us deeper. That we might return to the age of the dinosaurs. That we might hear the words of your prophets and your people. Those who have testified by their very lives the power that is available through you. And Lord, we know that you have given us a divine task and that is to make your name known throughout the world. And Lord, we live in an exciting age with many opportunities that have never been seen before. And we pray that we might be able to enter into those opportunities, that we might complete the mission that you've given us, that we might fulfill the purpose that you have for us in this generation. And Lord, I don't just pray for us today as individuals, but as a church, that we might cling to you, that we might run to you, and that we might abandon those external practices that uh, do not save, but run to you, the true God, to seek your face, to seek your power, and to seek your intercession in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Lord, use us, grow us, and draw us closer to yourself as we begin to understand and study this wonderful practice of fasting. Bless us and use us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are in Matthew chapter 6, and I want us to to go through this. Uh, We're going to go through this, walking through this passage as well as possibly a few others. First of all, if we're going to seek God hungry, this is my first point, then we have to be engaging in fasting. Engaging in fasting. One of the things that we can see as we jump into not just our text, but other texts, especially in, we see in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says and begins, and when you fast, this isn't a command, but it is something that he expects us to do. This is not something that we just add as an option, uh, something that we kind of cursory observe. But Jesus says, and when you fast, there is an expectation that we as Christians will be fasting and engaging in the practice of fasting. Now, what is fasting? I want to draw that out for a moment. <clears throat> fasting is simply this. It, is ref- it refers to the abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. That's it. It's abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. 
Now, we've expanded that, and you can to a point, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he goes, fasting, if we conceive truly, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special, peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting. In other words, he's saying that there are certain things that you can do. Uh, It's not just food. There are different fasts that the Scripture actually does talk about. But at its root, fasting is the abstention from food for spiritual purposes. Now, we have included that. We've said Facebook and social media and things like that, and those are good, but I see those in many ways as training wheels to get you to learn how to do the other type, which is much more of a powerful and one that you're going to feel fasting. Facebook you'll feel, but it's, you know that's probably something you shouldn't do anyway, being on Facebook all the time or social media. We all know that. We know, and sometimes I find people that use fasting as an excuse to just stop that behavior. And that's all well and good, but, but fasting at its root is truly a food thing. Now, I know just as I say that, some people are already freaking out. And that's, 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 there's a reason why. It's because we're allowing the food to be our, our bodies, in other words, to be our masters, rather than realize that our bodies should be our servants. That we should, and we're going to, to draw this out in a moment. Fasting, then, as its root, again, is the abstention of food for some spiritual purposes. Now, uh, before I go on any further, I know that there are some people that uh, cannot do that because you might have a medical condition. That's understandable. Then you go into the other arena, some type of fasting, uh, maybe from a particular food or something, but you know that you're going to feel it. It's going to be there with you. Now, Jesus is speaking in verse 16 again, and when you fast... It is not a command, but definitely an expectation. And we see in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then then they will fast. That's now. That's now. John Piper uh, wrote that fasting is not the abstention from evil, but of the good. And we have to understand that food is a very powerful thing. I don't think we understand how powerful food is. Matter of fact, if we would go throughout the scriptures and look how powerfully food affected different saints, you would be blown away. You're going to be blown away by this. I'm going to, I want to quote to you. It's not up there. But Arthur T. Wallace wrote this book called God's Chosen Fast. Excellent book. And in the book, he says this. It is said that the quickest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Evidently, evidently excuse me, Satan thought that this was equally true for a woman. For it was Eve he tempted with the forbidden fruit, food. So when the woman saw, and she, she, so the women saw that the tree was good for food, and she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Genesis three six. So it was, among other things, a temptation to eat that encompassed the ruin of the race. The cry of man's stomach helped him to drown the voice of God in the Garden of Eden. Satan found he could make a strong appeal to the human stomach, and in the millenniums that followed, he has pursued this line with obvious success. In his old age, we find Isaac, the great patriarch, despite what God had revealed to him, favoring Esau rather than Jacob, and for no nobler reason than the fact that this elder son supplied his father's table with the food that he liked. Genesis twenty-five twenty-eight. Esau, in turn, sold his birthright for a single meal. In this, he later forfeited also the blessing of the firstborn. 
The sad story of God's people in their wilderness wanderings reveals a continuous record of failure along this line. Over the matter of food, they murmured, they wept, they craved, they lusted. Would it be that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full? Exodus 16.3. He's referring to the Israelites when they are in the wilderness, that they were wishing they could go back and eat. They had all the food that they wanted. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Numbers 11, 4 through 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is, this is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the manna, as it says in Numbers 21.5. God's attitude in all this is brought out vividly by the psalmist. He gave them what they craved. But before they had sated their craving, the anger of God rose against them, and he slew the strongest of them and laid low the picked men of Israel. Psalm 78.29-31. He gave them what they asked which sent a wasting disease among them, Psalm 106.15. This lust for food even reared its head in the sanctuary of God and brought a curse upon the house of Eli. God asked the aged priest with indignation, Why then look with greed, greedy eye at my sacrifices and my offerings, which I commanded, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves upon the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Paul had some hard things to say to the to the. Undisciplined believers at Corinth where such evils as drunkenness and gluttony were seen in their love feasts. So it became impossible for them to observe the Lord's Supper. He reminded them that the, the history of Israel in the wilderness in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Now these things are warnings for us not to desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink. That's 1 Corinthians 10, excuse me, 6 and 7. Sitting down to eat and drink, and the Holy Spirit calls it idolatry. We are not suggesting that the God who gives us richly all things to enjoy cannot bless our feasting as well as our fasting. The fact remains that the Holy Spirit is here warning us that our sitting down to eat and drink can be idolatry, just as it can be to the glory of God. So food is powerful, and it's shipwrecked the faith of many a follower. See, we need to make sure that our fleshly appetite does not dampen our spiritual ones. We can see then that fasting is to be a spiritual act. That's what it's, it is. It's a spiritual act. That's why we're undergoing it. It's a way to increase our hunger for God and dissipate our desires for other things. John Piper says this, Desires for other things, there's the enemy. And the only weapon that will triumph is a deep hunger for God. The weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. Perhaps then the denial of our stomach, stomach's appetite for food might express or, or even increase our soul's appetite for God. What is at stake here is not just the good of our souls, but also the glory of God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The fight of faith is a fight to feast on all that God is for us in Christ. What we hunger for most, we worship. What we hunger for most, we worship. It's a spiritual act, but it's also a secret practice. Now, if we're doing a public fast, such as the church fasting, which I am advocating and challenging us to do for um, the next 10 days, actually starting tomorrow, uh, you can do three days or 10. It's not secretive then, 
but it's not for you to show how spiritual you are. And while it's secretive, I do, not re- I do recommend telling your spouse or those immediately around you because if you don't and you're not eating is going to draw more attention if you, you, you eat with them. There's times where I have fasted and I've been with people and I'm trying to keep it a secret and then me not eating draw mo- drew more attention than if I would have prepped them otherwise. So we have to understand that. Um, so fasting is a secretive practice, and it should be done for a specific reason. Now, throughout Scripture, there are several different reasons as to why people fasted. Having a specific request answered, as we see in Judges 20. Interceding for the oppressed or sick in Psalm 35. A response to tragedy in Psalm 31. As a result of being broken before God for personal or corporate sin and the failure to act responsibly. You see that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, Daniel, Joel even the book of Jonah. Or it's committing our work, ministry, or task to the Lord for his guidance and blessing. Acts 13, Acts 14. We're asking the church to fast for God, to use us to expand his kingdom in our community. His blessing on our church. It's also to be done for a set time. So we have a specific reason for a set time. Esther fasted for three days from food and water. While Moses and Elijah and Jesus all fasted for 40 days. Now we're asking the church to fast for three or 10 days beginning tomorrow. And we even have a devotional that's helped to encourage you on in your fast. And it's called Seek Hungry Campus Fast 2017, January 2nd through the 11th. Uh, you can grab one at the end. There'll be ushers that will pass them out to you. And in them, there is a quick verse, perhaps some, uh, just a little devotional, a scripture, and then questions for you to answer in a prayer that you can pray. Sometimes there's just a quote and questions for you to answer. Uh, it's the idea is we're doing this together. Why? Because we have to have God's blessing on our church. We can't just go through the motions. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to see God work in our midst. And I know that God won't work. We, we, can't, we can't have God working without God's power. And God's power just doesn't even give in just without people seeking him. You see it throughout the Bible over and over and over again that the people forget God. They got so caught up in the gifts that they forgot the giver. They were too busy delighting in their earthly comforts that they forgot Christ. Now, God has blessed us in our country tremendously, but it doesn't mean it's always going to stay that way. If we don't hold on to him, if we don't cling to him, if we don't get on our knees and seek him, how do we expect God to work? It can't be built on the personality of a person. It can't be built on great technology and programs. It can't be built on anything except the very presence and the person of God. And, that is, and that's because of the cross and him crucified. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. And he rose again for our justification. And now he has given us his spirit to help teach us to put to death the sins of our flesh and live for righteousness and tell other people about him before he comes again. That's it. That's what we're to be about. That's what we're to be doing. And we need to make sure that we are cultivating that to understand that this world is not our home. And it's to be for seeking God. That's what it's to be for. We've talked about it being a secretive practice, specific reason to set time for seeking God. Now, you've seen there are many other cultures that practice fasting. Some people do it for health benefits, and you will notice that there are health benefits when you are fasting. Uh, You will lose weight, sometimes tremendously. I mean, if you do it for a week, you'll probably lose about eight pounds. But here's the thing. When you're done with the fast, you put it all back on. 
So don't think that you're going to be doing a fast just to lose weight, and that's going to be your new, new Year's resolution. That's not it at all. That's a byproduct of it. But you will have health benefits. You will notice certain things begin to happen in your body as you do begin to fast. But we see that it's mainly for seeking God. Piper, again, I love this quote here. He goes on and continues. He says, the more deeply that you walk with Christ, I don't know if we have it up there, the hungrier, hungrier you get for Christ, the more homesick you get for heaven, the more you want all the fullness of God, the more you want to be done with sin, the more you want the bridegroom to come again, the more you want the church revived and purified with the beauty of Jesus, the more you want a great awakening to God's reality in the cities, the more you want to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ penetrate the darkness of all the unreached peoples of the world, the more you want to see the false worldviews yield to the force of truth, the more you want to see pain relieved and tears wiped away and death destroyed, the more you long for every wrong to be made right and the justice and grace of God to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. So it's, you see that up there. But we have a longing that begins to occur in our hearts when we begin to fast. And it purifies us and gives us a very intense spiritual focus on who God is. We realize that this world is not our home. As Piper said, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. See, if we then are to fast, we need to do a heart check. Because fasting serves the purpose of unmasking the heart's motives unmasking the heart's motives. It really, it, what it does, it removes all the things that we've been medicating ourselves with and brings us face to face with who we really are. And I know for some of us, that's terrifying. Because we've been masking with all kinds of other things. It could be food. It could be sports center. It could be busyness. We don't like being alone and we don't like being quiet. Matter of fact, I mean, we're seeing now an addiction of, of huge proportions with social media because they're seeing that with uh, all the social media that's going on, it's increasing the dopamine in a person's brain, which is the comfort part of the brain. So people go to their phones and social media, and it's just the same highs they get if it's alcohol or drugs. And people are becoming addicted to it, and they're constantly just turning to social media. And it's something that we all have to learn to battle but when we pull away, we're removing that control of it, whether it's social media, whether it's food. And we are saying, I'm going to be alone with God. In that moment in time, all of the stuff that you've been using to medicate your pain is going to come out. Your pain is going to come out. And let me tell you, fasting when it starts is ugly. Is ugly. It's not, I mean, it, yes, there is a huge blessing to fasting. And, 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 and I, I, I highly advocate it for people. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be easy when you start off. Because you're going to start dealing with a lot of these issues that you have been keeping under the surface. Because it reveals what really controls us. Richard Foster, who has written a lot on the spiritual disciplines and specifically fasting, he says this, More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. And then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in the knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Jesus Christ. See, it reminds us, not only reveals what 
controls us, but it reminds us that God alone sustains us. Fasting is the reminder that we are not sustained by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Remember, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights when the devil came to him. And he said, he knew he was hungry, and he, commanded, he said, Command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Meaning that God alone is the one who sustains us. It's a reminder that it's not food that keeps us going, but it's God himself. And fasting also relates to other areas where we need self-control. Fasting, it, it actually pours into other areas. I find it very interesting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, that uh, Paul writes, Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, why does he put food and sex together? There's a reason why. Is he saying that the, the sexual desires that we have in many ways are related to our food desires? And if we can, say, we can say no to our food desires, we can say no to our sexual desires. That's what we can do. There's a, there's a correlation that's there. We have to understand that. Matter of fact, even Paul even advocates there's a sex fast that does occur, that should occur in marriage where people are devoting themselves for, to prayer for a period of time. So we need to understand that. It, is, it relates to other areas where we need self-control. And if you can say no to food, you can say no to a lot of other things. When one of the most base desires that we have, which is our desire for food, and if we can say no to that, you can say no to porn. You can say no to overspending. You can say no to lying. You can say no to almost any other sin because this is the one that we engage in daily. And and again, food is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But what Satan likes to do is he likes to take good things and make them into God things, and then they become bad things. That's idolatry. See, idolatry at its root is not, I mean, the abstention from every bad practice. No, idolatry is taking good things, making them into God things, and then they become bad things. So we, we have a tendency to say, uh, don't do this practice, don't do that practice. But a lot of times the practice itself is good. It's when it's out of the parameters that God intended it to be is when it becomes evil and wrong. We have to understand that. That food and, and fasting helps relate to other areas where we need self-control. And that's not all. It reaches into the spiritual realm. See, fasting puts us into the spiritual realm in powerful ways. In times past, previous generations have understood that fasting was used as a channel of power to bring God to bear upon a situation in our lives. When coupled with prayer, as it must be, change begins to happen. Again, Richard Foster, he wrote this, Fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that will never happen in any other way. It is a means of God's grace and blessing that we should not be neglected any, should not be neglected any longer. Char, uh, John Wesley declares, It was not merely by the light of reason that the people of God have been in all ages directed to use fasting as a means, but they have been taught it of God himself by clear and open revelations of his will. Now, whatever reasons there were to quicken of old and the zealous and constant discharge of this duty, they are of equal force still to quicken us today. It reaches into the spiritual realm. 
And I, I've shared this before, that some of the most powerful moments of experience that I've ever had in the presence of God were not in churches that everything worked perfectly and how it went together. Not everyone was polished on the platform, but it because these people sought God and he showed up. Some of the most powerful conversions that have ever occurred were not because of the show or the char- charisma of the preacher. Matter of fact, sometimes it was, it was because they were so less in many ways, they relied on God more and God showed up more. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his conversion, he testifies that there was a man that was sharing in the church, and he was not a great speaker, but God spoke through him and changed powerfully this man. And that man went over to change, or God, for God to use to change thousands, going in, in his ministry, still permeating onto us this day, over 100 years later. So we see, we have to understand that it reaches into the spiritual realm in powerful ways. Now, how do we go about it? I would like to put some practical points uh, on our fast. First of all, we need to identify the time. How long do we do it for? How long do we fast? Uh, we're going to start a fast tomorrow. for tomorrow. It begins at midnight tonight, J- January 2nd, 2017. We're seeking God's favor and power to expand the kingdom of God in our community. Notice I didn't just say our church, but the kingdom of God in our community. We're giving two periods of time for you to think about how you want to participate, three days or ten. If you're going to do the ten-day fast, make sure you drink a great deal of water, the same as the three-day. You will feel some hunger pains during this time, but it's not real hunger. Your stomach has been trained through the years to give signals of hunger at certain times. Foster says, in many ways, your stomach is like a spoiled child, and spoiled children do not need indulgence. They need discipline. Tell your spoiled child to calm down, and in a brief time, the hunger pains will pass. You're to be the master of your stomach, not its slave. Secondly, the type. What kind of fast will we be doing, or you be doing partial? Will you be doing a full food fast? Will you be doing a social media fast or perhaps something else? Will you start off abstaining from certain foods, perhaps meat or food altogether? Uh, A three-day fast without food and water, as Esther did. Uh, It's best to establish what you will do beforehand so you'll be less likely to cheat once you get started. Now next, you have to identify what your target is. What's the target? What kind of, um, what am I doing it for? You know, and according to Isaiah chapter 58, you can fast for your own pleasure. And that's not the kind of fasting that God desires. I mean, just because you fast doesn't mean it's always a great thing. You can have wrong motives like you can for anything else. So we have to make sure that our motives are correct. But are you fasting? And what's our target? We're fasting that God would show his blessing and, and use our church to help expand the kingdom of God in our community. That the power of God might be evident in and through us. That we would have a greater hunger for God and return to the things of God that we might walk in the age of the dinosaurs, as it will. Because I'm telling you, it's not about how big the building gets. It's not about the big programs. Those that might happen. But it, again, it's bringing people face to face with the living God. That they might be saved. That they might know who he is. That's what it's about. And we need God's power in order for that to happen. So the target In Isaiah 58, God delights in a fast so that others might receive justice, prisoners to be freed, the hungry to be fed, giving drink to the thirsty, giving the homeless a home, hope to the hopeless, and dignity to the disenfranchised. Our target during this time is that God would help us to expand God's kingdom in our community. Now, let me tell you this. There's also going to be trouble when you fast. There's going to be trouble. Uh, and, and this is what will happen. You're beginning to fast, and then your spouse will make your best, your favorite meal and didn't know you were fasting. And you'll walk in, you'll be like, oh, that smells so good. <laughs> or you'll go to work, and your coworker will bring your favorite donuts. 
That's what's going to happen. Or you'll have your small group and someone brings pizza. That happens to be your favorite pizza. Whatever it's going to be, these things will happen. They are temptations, but you'll also experience physical troubles that you will make it, it'll make you feel that this is not a, a spiritual act whatsoever. Foster again describes it. He says, it is well to know the process your body goes through in the course of a longer fast. That's usually over three days. The first three days are usually the most difficult in terms of physical discomfort and hunger pains. The body is beginning to rid itself of the toxins that have built up over the years of poor eating habits, and it's not a comfortable process. This is the reason for the coating on the tongue and bad breath. Don't be disturbed by these symptoms. Rather, be grateful for the increased health and well-being that will result. You may experience headaches during this time, especially if you're an avid coffee or tea drinker. Those mild withdrawal symptoms will pass through, though they may be very unpleasant for a time. By the fourth day, the hunger pains are beginning to subside, though you will have feelings of weakness and occasional, possibly, dizziness. I've never had that, but I know some have had it. The dizziness is only temporary and caused by sudden changes in position. Move even more slowly, and you'll have no difficulty. The weakness can come to the point where the simplest task makes great effort. Rest is the best remedy as much as you can. Many will find this the most difficult period of the fast. By the sixth or seventh day, you'll begin to feel stronger and more alert. Hunger pains will continue to diminish until the ninth or tenth day. Then they're only a minor irritation. The body will have eliminated the bulk of toxins, and you will feel good. Your sense of concentration will be sharpened, and you will feel as if you could fast indefinitely. Physically, this is the most enjoyable part of the fast. So it, you can do it. Your body will begin to go through it, and it, will be a very, it can be a very difficult time. And as you go through this, you're going to find yourself dealing with temptation. Big time. As I mentioned before, you're going to have a time where, the, again, someone's going to offer you pizza. You're going to have your best dish. You're going to have some party that you were supposed to go to. And it will be a huge temptation. But you can learn to say no to your appetites. If you can take something away, such as food, it's best to fulfill it with something such as scripture reading or prayer. Now, myself, I have found that um, when I do fast, I, I, meal times are a big deal for my family. I don't like to be alienated from my family. And fasting, my wife actually freaks out when I fast because she's like, you're away from everybody. And so what I decided to do is I took broth and I could have a meal with just broth. Everyone else would be eating normally. And, and it's, I'm not groaning about it, but I wanted to be in the conversation. I wanted to be with my family. So I wanted to replace it and feel part of the community. Uh, but I did take times where I would spend a great deal of time in prayer and seeking and meditating on God as much as I could uh, in my schedule. So you'll find yourself, though, dealing with uh, temptation. And last of all, you have to understand how it should be terminated. How do you end your fast? Let me give some practical instructions again from Foster. He says, anywhere between 21 and 40 days or longer, depending on the individual, hunger pains will return. This is the first stage of starvation, and the pain signal that the body has used up its reserves and is beginning to draw on the living tissue. The fast should be broken at this time. Now, if you're doing a full food fast without any food at all for three days, then you, you should break it with some fruit and vegetable juices. If 10 days or more, you should have a white diet. Uh, according to a doctor friend of mine, as we spoke on this, he said, you can eat eggs, rice, but nothing too much. Your stomach has shrunk considerably during a fast, and to jump right back in could cause your stomach to explode. Uh, start off slowly. The rule of thumb is for every four days of fasting requires a full day of recovery. So if you fasted for three days, then there is not so much of a difficulty. Ten days, then almost two days of recovery. If you go for 40 days... It's going to take your body about 10 days to get back to where it needs to be. Fasting's work. 
and it's expected, although it's not for everyone. Pregnant or nursing mothers, children, those with eating disorders, and those with medical issues that prevent it should not do a food fast, but I would advocate another type of fast. But for those who could, should, I want to conclude with Piper once more. He said this, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. There is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, O God, I want you. If you're spiritually asleep, don't look at fasting as a magic bullet. Don't do that either. But see it as an opportunity to be awakened to God's glory and decrease our hunger for him. Now, I, I intentionally ended my sermon. This is a bit of a different sermon that I would preach, but I intentionally ended it a little bit early. Why? Because I want to take questions on fasting. Uh, because I would like to really give us opportunity to dialogue about this now. And I understand that this isn't a normal service for this, but this is how badly I would like us to participate in this because I desperately, desperately uh, believe that we need God's presence and his power more than ever. And if we're to do that, that requires God's people getting on their knees, seeking his face in prayer and in fasting. So any questions right now? Don't hesitate to ask. If, if no questions, then I expect you're all just expert fasters. Um, that you probably need to speak about with your doctor if you can. Um, if there is a medical issue that you have. Um, I know for some people, they, it affects, they, they're afraid that it's going to affect their job if they're working with a lot of people or their performance of it. I have found that the first few days are, can be pretty difficult. You can get through it. After that, you actually have a surprising amount of energy than you would otherwise think. Most people think they'll be delayed on energy. I found myself with increased energy and more concentration, and I got more stuff done than I did before. However, in the first few days, I also noticed this. You think about food an awful lot. You'll be surprised with how much you start thinking about food when you're fasting. At first day, you're like, wow, White Castle's even looking good. Yeah. You will have some detox that are, that's going on. Your body's getting rid because we have a lot of chemicals and toxins in our system. And so those will start coming up. And be careful if you are going to drink juice. Don't drink too much juice because then your body's going to start cleansing itself. And you're going to be in the bathroom quite a bit. That's the other danger that people do. And you'll get so much sugars that your body can begin to dehydrate. I'd also, begin, I'd also um, discourage a lot of working out um, during that time. I've actually done it. But, uh, and I didn't feel a huge didn't affect me that much, and I, and I was doing it way later on down on the fast. I was playing some racquetball, and uh, it would, it was, I was fine. But I wouldn't recommend that for everybody. Yeah. I, I would, I would re- that's a great question. I would recommend doing a food fast if you can. And again, I understand that many people are terrified of that, but I think we can do it as a body. Uh, I would recommend a full food fast. I would not recommend doing the food and water. Uh, Esther did that. We see that in the book of Esther, and that was for three days for a very concentrated reason. They were fearful of the, she was interceding for the genocide of her, the possible genocide of her people, or impending genocide, excuse me. Um, so they went without food and water. You see Jesus doing that too. But I think a food fast is sufficient. I would stay away from smoothies. I, I like to supplement with a little bit of juice and a little bit of broth. I try to do an herbal tea with a little honey in it and a little, a little lemon. Lemon actually helps the hunger pains dissipate. Citrus helps the hunger pains dissipate. 
but I would stay away from a lot of sugary drinks. Uh, maybe you could do a V8. Um, I would do, like, when I would fast, uh, like, for a long period of time, I'd have one of those, uh, a small um, pineapple juice in the morning. I would have a, a herbal tea, um, which is Starbucks Tazo is really good for that, by the way. Like, orange blossom is excellent. Um, and then I'd have that with a little bit of honey and a little bit of lemon. And then I would have a V8 in the afternoon and maybe, maybe a liquid, uh, a, a, a juice popsicle in the evening. That's what I would do. But made it sure it was juice, not anything else, just because I wanted the juice to ha- coat my tongue and get my mouth in something with my mouth. Now, you can do it without that. You can do it without any of those things. The, f- the first several days I did nothing. I added that around day 10 uh, when I did it the last time. We, we're, I'm advocating a 24-hour fast. 24 hours. Yeah. So for those that work in second shift, that starts at midnight, um, and it will go all the way through the midnight, uh, and, it will, and you can do it for three days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it'll be done Wednesday night, midnight. Or you can do the 10 days, and then it will go to January, I believe it's January 11th is the day that it ends, and that's right before the ladies' retreat. Um, and again, don't just jump right back into it. If you want to do a longer fast, which is what I was ad- originally advocating and I hope to do in the future, like a 21-day fast, there are some churches that I knew that do this every year. They do the first 21 days of the year, and they dedicate it to the Lord. And that's where I would like eventually uh, us to get to as well. I would rec- Yeah, if you're nursing or pregnant, I would recommend not doing a food fast then. I would try to find something else that would have um, something you would miss to take out of your life. Um, meaning that if it is like a social media or it is computer, maybe phone or something, you could even do a type of food, caffeine, removal of coffee. Uh, that I think would be pretty good. Uh, or if you have diabetes, again, a medical condition, I would, I would advocate not doing that. But you can participate still without removing all the food completely. Some people have a very hard time getting rid of mo- like meat or, a co- or caffeine. It's hard. You can. There's a Daniel fast that people have advocated for where you're just eating fruits and vegetables. Um, you can do that um, if, you want, if you want to be a part of that. But, uh, again, I know some people are – if you're hesitant and you, this is your first time, you could advocate, try it that way. You've got to learn to walk before you can run. And so you, that might be a good place to start for you. And, again, you'll even find that as powerful. I know for myself, the first time I ever fasted, I did one of the uh, 30-hour famines where you missed like three meals, and I couldn't believe how much I thought about food during that time. And it was three meals, and I was like, I, I need to eat all the time. I can't. I, but then I went on, and I, I learned how to do uh, without caffeine. I did one uh, Lenten period where I did no caffeine, and I did no meat and no, sh- no sugar as much as I possibly could. And then after that, I went to full food fast, um, and, and then I, I've gone on now to extended fast uh, for a long period of time. I just want us to, to be able to do this together. We need, God's, we need God's intercession in our church. God's blessing in our church, but that doesn't mean it stays there. We have to continually seek God. And I believe that God wants to do great things in our church. And I believe God is doing great things in our church. I mean, the all-in campaign is just it. That's a celebration. So I don't want fasting to be a, a means to get you down. Matter of fact, it should encourage us because we have an opportunity to get closer to God because of that and have him to intercede in the life of our, our church and help us expand the kingdom of God in our community, in our workplaces. And I guarantee when you're starting to fast, you are going to be a little bit more spiritually astute than before. And that's why we have these devotionals for you. These aren't long. 
Um, and there, there's a, usually a verse, again, a little bit of a devotional to it, some questions you can answer, and a, and a quick prayer at, at the end. And you don't have to do that. what's in here. You can go even deeper. But take that time to seek the Lord during this, this fast as we celebrate together. And I'll be giving updates on Facebook through our Aurora campus page, uh, kind of encouraging us as we go along. So if you're not a fan, if you're not on Facebook, or if you're doing a social media fast, don't go on Facebook. But... Um, if you uh, are a part of that and not doing the social media side, you can go on there and see uh, as I'll, I'll give some periodic updates. And because uh, we'll be doing it together, right? And I want this to be an encouraging time as we see God's face for our church and his blessing on, on, our, on our body. So it's a great opportunity. I don't know how many of you have fasted before, but this is a great challenge. We usually do this in our Lenten time, and we might do it again. Um, but we do want to start off this year, and I've been wanting to kick off this year as we seek God together because we need his blessing in our lives and in our church. Uh, and I do believe God wants to do great things in us and through us. And uh, he wants us to seek his face, and I believe when we do so, God will be glorified in us. Why? Because we're most satisfied in him. With that in mind, please stand as we conclude our worship service today with our benediction. Receive the blessing. Our great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, bless us as we go our separate ways. Help us to have a true hunger for you and not for the things of this world. Increase our desire for you. Help us to thirst for righteousness in your kingdom that your name might receive glory and we might increase in joy. And all of God's people said, Amen.